is going to be different than most series as far as what you hear in churches today on the idea of money. Because what is the one central theme behind most of the teachings on money? And I've sat through a number of these. It's about giving, right? That's what it always comes back to. They start there, they end there. Giving is an incredible uh, uh, thing that we do, and it's a very important part. But there's so much more to it. I mean, we are literally going to go back, we're going to start in the beginning, and we are going to un- or dig out every little nuance of Scripture and how we know how, what God's ideas about money has to do with it. Now, why is this important? Guys, money makes the world go round, whether we want to admit it or not. It's the reality. Everybody here earns money in some capacity, either because you took your money and you put it away so that it's making you money, or you're going and clocking in and you're getting it that way, or you own a business that provides income, or you farm and sometimes you make money, right? That was a joke, y'all. Stay with me. Wake up. It's too early. Yeah, sorry. Apparently it's a little sore subject. Okay, but, but the reality is, is that money makes everything work. This is our, our, our economy is functioning off of fiat currency, money, and we'll talk about all of that stuff. But think about it this way, guys. It's so crucial that in the end times, when the Antichrist arrives, before Jesus returns, he's going to be able to control everybody. And how does he do it? If you don't take his mark, you can neither buy nor sell. And so people are going to accept him and take that, what we call the mark of the beast, you've seen it as 666, because if you do not, what can't you do? buy or sell. So thus, he is controlling the economy, the money, and all of that. That's how crucial it is. People will, quote unquote, sell their soul to the devil in order to be able to buy and sell. We talked about last week some of the ideas that God has about money, just the basics of it. But we've got to do things God's way. I don't care what it is in life, if we don't approach it from a biblical worldview, it doesn't matter. Because let's put it this way, if you believe that God created everything, right? If you believe that, then you ought to believe that he probably has a pretty good idea on how everything should work. And I mean everything, everything. Like, I realize the Bible doesn't talk about how you should tune up your truck, but the laws that he put in place is what makes it work. So we need to look at this thing from God's perspective, his point of view, and that's why we're doing this. This is a very giving church, and so we're not going to do any of the other stuff. So let me give you an idea where this is going. We're going to begin talking about the idea of economics, right? I know this stuff isn't taught. Some of this is going to be basic. But you know, there's a movement today, if you didn't know it, of socialism. It's become very popular here recently. Well, why is that? What does the Bible have to say about that? Because we've been in a capitalistic society for, since our, our founding, basically. Um, so it was that God's way? Was it man's way? Has it worked? I don't know, but we're going to begin looking at all of that. Because if socialism is good or communism is good, it ought to line up scripturally, right? Fair enough. We'll begin to look at all of this stuff. From there, we're going to get into the ideas of giving and stuff like that. But it's so much more than that and how money operates. Because if you can learn this, this isn't stuff that's taught in schools much anymore. They give you a basic economics lesson. But I've told you guys, I can't tell you how many times I've had a young person not know how to write a check. Or they didn't know how to, how to deal with it. I mean, you get into uh, third world countries, like El Salvador is an example. I mean, they, you guys had given somebody money to buy a grill so they could start their own business, right? What's one of the things you got to do as a business owner is that as that income comes in, what do you have to do? You have to take a portion of that to fix equipment and buy more supplies. Guess what they didn't do? Right? 
And that's what we think. We never think about this stuff because it's not taught today. So we're going to begin to look at the things that God has to say about this. So this is still kind of introductory. I want you to stay with me. I want you to just kind of just work with me here as we're laying this foundation. So this is not going to be the most exciting sermon you've ever heard in your life. You're not going to stand up and shout hallelujah. Or you're not going to walk out and be like, man, we need to go save the world. Like, this isn't that. But we've got to build this platform that everything else is built on. That, otherwise, guys, we're, gonna, we're just not going to have that foundation. Remember what we talked about in the last series, the new man. If you're building your foundation on the rock, you're going to build it on sand. We're going to build it on Scripture. And we're going to look at the world around us as we do it. So, in this, there are three things that when I read the Bible that I see that God wants us to experience without a doubt. First one is liberty. The second one is prosperity, and the third one is generosity, in that order. Now, I, what is liberty? When I looked up the, the definition of liberty, here's what it comes up with. I think I got it up there. The state of being free within society from oppressive restrictions imposed by authority on one's way of life, behavior, or political views. This is Webster's Dictionary, okay? This is what it comes from. Now, we could break this down a little bit, but, but the bottom line here is this, and we're not going to spend all this time in In the United States, we have liberty, right? We have freedoms here that other countries do not enjoy, one of which is the freedom of speech, right? Do you know in Canada, they don't have the freedom of speech? You cannot say what you want. So if you don't have freedom of speech, are you truly free? In one way, you're not. Why? Because your thought life is now being controlled by higher up. That's not liberty. Okay? Go to another country where it's, it's more communistic in China. You don't have liberty to go out there and make the income that you want. Right? Do you have that here? Absolutely you do. If you have a job that you don't like, what can you do? Go get you a different job. Not super complicated, and that is around us all over. But if you go to another part of the world, that's not always a luxury that they have. There may not be another job, or there may be nothing to go to, right? And you guys see this in El Salvador. Because of where they're from in District Italia, which is the hub of the MS-13 gangs, um, when they go to San Salvador, which is the major city that we always stay in when we go, um, they, if they find out they're from District Italia, most of the time they won't hire them because they just assume, oh, you're part of the gang. So these guys go to different lengths to try to make ends meet, right? We paid the, uh, what was it, the roofers who were the gang members to put on the roof at the building. It was five bucks a day, right? They were willing to roof for five dollars a day. If there was a five dollar bill up here, some of you guys wouldn't walk up here to pick it up. They're like, that's just five bucks, right? Different world. Gabe's back there like, I'd pick it up, right? Jared would go buy ice cream with it. But we have liberty here. Where does liberty come from? Does it come from man or does it come from God? It comes from God. If we're doing things God's way, look what he says, Galatians 5.13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now think about this in the eyes of God. Do we have the choice whether we're going to serve God or not? Absolutely we do. Thus there is liberty there. Okay, now think about this. Do we have the choice of whether we're going to be born again? Absolutely. We choose to follow Christ or we choose not to. Choices are. We have liberty. God does not make us do it. Right? He's not standing there. Why is that? Because then it's no longer liberty and it's no longer love. We're not moist robots. He's not in there like pushing the little pegs and, and making us moo. This world would be completely different. If he did that, then he's not loving. 
To be a loving God, he has to give us the freedom to choose. We have liberty in God. Once we're born again, do we have liberty to follow his precepts and commandments or not to? Absolutely. Think about the Israelites. God said, listen, they're getting ready, they're cutting the covenant, right? The Mosaic covenant. Moses is up on the mountain, gives them the Ten Commandments. He said, here's what I'm going to do for you. You're going to follow my commandments. I'm going to be your God. If you do it, you're going to be extremely blessed. You don't have to worry about nothing. But if you don't, you're going to be cursed. Okay, Israelites, what do you all want to do? They had a choice. They could have said, no, we don't like the conditions of this. Maybe if in, in, in subsection B, article 2, we could put this here. They could have said anything they wanted there, but they said, no, we accept. We accept the terms that you have laid out for us. Thus, we are now in covenant with you. They cut the covenant and all of that. And what did they choose to do immediately after that? Break the covenant, right? I mean, the ink wasn't dry yet, and they're already building the golden calf. Didn't take long. But they had a choice all along the way. And with those choices comes what? Consequences. We can never forget that. So we have liberty in God. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Right? Not exactly earth-shattering stuff, I know. But we have to understand this, that we have liberty from God, spiritually and physically. We make a choice, right? Why, do you constantly, why does he constantly say, you need to be holy because I am holy? You need to live your life as a living sacrifice. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, treated as such. Because we have a choice whether we do or we don't. That's liberty. The next one is prosperity. Okay? Now here's the definition. The state of being prosperous. Well, thank you, Mr. Webster. Don't you love it when they use the word you're trying to define in the definition? I mean, that's real helpful. What is prosperity? See, this this has become a, a taboo word in the church. Because when we look at prosperity from a biblical perspective, we look at it as what is it? Okay, so if if this is the status quo, if this is where everything is, prosperity would be up here, right? Or up here, up here, up here. But it's above that. It would be more than enough. Is that the God that we serve? Is He the God that is more than enough? Is He the God that can meet all of your needs according to His riches and glory? According to the Scripture, He is. But yet, we act as if God can't afford to do certain things. We act as if God's like, well, I mean, I know you kind of created everything, and that's all well and good, but you can't handle this one. You see, prosperity, we should never live poor. And understand this, I'm not just talking financially. Prosperity is so much more than just money. Like, we need to be a prosperous people. We should be prosperous in all things. But we, we look at it this way, is that there are a lot of times when we look at the areas of finance, especially in the church world, is that we just kind of, well, let's just keep it down here. And we, we take on this false humility. Did you know that it is okay to prosper? It was God's idea for prosperity. You're going to see that, but let's look at a couple verses. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. It's talking about the covenant there. Who gave them the power to get wealth? Talking about the Israelites. Wealth. <gasps> you can't be wealthy. Why? A rich man has a better chance going through the eye, or a camel has a better chance going through the eye of a needle than a rich man getting to heaven, right? Can't be wealthy. That's a sin. No, it's not. You see, we have these, these false ideas about what prosperity is and all of that. Look at Proverbs chapter 1. 
Verse 1, blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Wait a minute. Prosperity sounds like it's a godly idea. You think God wants people down poor helpless, can't take care of themselves. Of course not. That's not God's plan. We'll get into the why that happens later. But the bottom line is this. The idea of prosperity does not come from man. It comes from God. He wishes that all should prosper, both financially, spiritually, and in all things, because whatever he does, he shall prosper. But what was the the key to that? He delights in the law of the Lord. The way we would say that today is we put God first and we delight in him. This other stuff, just stuff, right? Remember, we talked about money is amoral. It's not moral. It's not immoral. It has no morality. It is simply a tool. It's a tool that's used by God. It's a tool that's used by the enemy. It's a tool used by good people. It's a tool used by bad people. It is just a tool. Okay? Now, let's look at the last one. So, we've got liberty. We've got prosperity. The third one being generosity. Here we go. Here's the definition. Ready? The quality of being kind and generous. Here we go again. Thank you. This just tells us we're all smart enough to write a dictionary. What is generosity? When we look at it from a worldly perspective, generosity is one who is constantly helping. That's the same as from a godly perspective. When we are generous with what we have, then we are generous with everything, our money, our time, the way we treat people, being kind and and, and, and generous that way. Look at it from a perspective in the Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, most of you guys know this, he who sows sparingly, is sparingly the same thing as generously? Nope. We'll also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully is bountifully the same thing as generosity. Absolutely. We'll also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. You notice that says all things there. I'm going to read that part again. Always having all sufficiency in all things. In other words, everything you do, that you may have an abundance. For what purpose? Every good work. And who decides what's good? God does. See, he is the standard to which we compare all things. This is God's idea. This is his plan. So looking at this, we, should, we find liberty, we find prosperity, and we should be gener- generous. Luke 6, 38, given, it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. You see the distinction here. Generosity, if you're generous, it's going to be measured back to you. If you're stingy, it's going to be measured back to you. That goes in finances. That also goes in how you treat people. Because if you're a jerk, people are going to treat you as such. You see, there's all of these things. This is how God laid out. These are the basic precepts of this. But it goes beyond that because there are two gifts that God has given mankind. Okay? The first one is the gift of work. Work is not a four-letter word, except that it is. Okay? The gift of work, and here's the other one, the gift of profit. Watch out. Them fat cats are always out there trying to make a profit, right? We act like profit's a bad thing. It's not. Let's look at this. The gift of work. Where does work come from? Well, if you ask the average person, well, work came from the curse. When Adam and Eve sinned, they fell, and then God made them do work. And so here we are stuck doing work just like Adam had to because he couldn't 
stay away from the tree. He listened to his stinking wife. If he just ignored her, if she'd been more submissive. God, you ladies are quiet today, okay. I mean, I could get a man to say amen, but they're afraid. <laughs> you guys, you see, here's the thing. Work isn't part of the curse. Look at this, Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. This is, he's created man. Woman's not here yet. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man who he formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow, that it was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we can talk about why those are both there later. Now a river went out of Eden to the gar- water the garden. From there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one who skirts the whole land of Havilah, and where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Dedelium, the onyx stone, are there. The name of the second river is Gahan. It is one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hittikel. It is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. Stop there! You see? He didn't even have to water nothing. God took care of it. Right? Man, wouldn't farmers love that today? Don't have to water nothing. God takes care of it. He's been taking care of it here lately. And then some. But look at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Now remember, this is prior to the fall. What came as part of the fall? Besides the sickness, death, all that stuff. Thorns, thistles, weeds, all of that. He was to tend and keep it, take care of the garden. Do you realize that God gave Adam a job before he gave him a family? Think about that. Was work part of the curse? No, not even a little bit. You see, work was God's plan from the beginning. You see it all through scriptures. He tells the Israelites, for in six days I created, so you're going to work six days, and on the seventh you're going to take it, take it off. You notice he didn't say, now listen, I need you to get your 40 hours and then take the weekend off, have a good time. That's not what he said. Who decided that we work 40 hours a week? It wasn't God. God's plan, hey, work six days, take the seventh off, right? What was the seventh day? Saturday, not Sunday. It was Saturday. And do you know why he wanted them to take Saturday off? Because he knew that's when college football would be played. He knew it. He knew it. Listen, he could see the beginning from the end. He knew it was coming. And he said, listen, all you Husker fans, you're going to need a day of which to cry. And then I'm going to let you go to church the next day because, believe me, you're going to need the presence of God after that. Okay. See, I got jokes. I can talk about myself here. No, they they were to work six days. This idea that we have in this country didn't come from the Bible. I'm not saying you need to work more than 40 hours, but hey, here's an idea. If you can't make ends meet on 40 hours, maybe you should work more, whatever. But the idea of work came from God. Work was always there from the beginning, not work toward salvation, work on the earth. Have you ever noticed that people have something to get up and go to every single day are typically happier and healthier and more fun to be around than when they're not? And I ain't talking about you retirees, okay? Uh, because you find stuff to do. I'm talking about people that's like, nah, I don't want to go get a job. I'm just going to sit at home and play video games. I'm going to live in my mother's basement for the rest of my life. Yeah, and all you mothers are like, nope, that ain't happening. You see, the gift of work came from God. That's number one. But what about the gift of profit? Did the gift of profit, did God plan for us to profit? Well, of course he did. And we'll talk about that. But let's, before we do that, I want to show you an idea of how God takes his economic system and moves it forward. So if we're going to work, what are we doing? We're producing something, right? 
We're producing something. You may be trading your time for dollars. You may have a farm and you go out there and work it and you put the, the seed in the ground and hopefully there's a good harvest and you'll be able to cash it in. You may own a business of which you go out there and you work or you have employees that work and thus at the end of the year you hope that there's a profit. But we're producing something. This is God's plan. Go out there and be productive. You can look at all these different scriptures. I'm not going to go into all of those just for the sake of time. But go out there, be productive. A term that I use constantly, go kill something and drag it home. Right? Go do something. Find something to do besides playing Fortnite all the time. This is something I say to teenagers all the time. Okay? Like, find something. We produce something. Okay? We produce a, a product. We produce an income of some sort. But from here, this is where the profit comes in. Because whatever we're producing, we hope to profit from it. Now, if you're trading time for dollars, the production is, or your profit is, in your paycheck. If you're putting seed in the ground, your profit is, hopefully, that you sell it for more than what you got into it. That's true of anything, right? If you work for somebody, they need you to produce more than you cost them. If you don't, you won't be working for them long. You guys following me? I know this is tough stuff. So we, God, we, we produce something and then we profit from them. But the third step is, is we have savings. Now what is savings? We can think savings account. I actually heard a Christian preacher one day make this statement. He's like, no Christian should ever have a savings account because if they do, they're not living by faith. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, it's not true. I've heard some pretty stupid things. But it's up there, believe me. Now again, I'm not going to break all of this down today. We'll talk about this stuff in more depth later. But we produce, we take the profit, now we set aside our savings. But what do we do with that savings? Well, there are basically three things that we do. Okay? The first one, we, should, we can give. What does the Bible teach on giving? We talk about tithing and stuff like that. We'll get into the specifics later. But the first fruit offering, they took a tenth of all that they produced off the top before they figured out their cost and all that other stuff. And they would give it, in this case, to the temple. But they would give it to the Lord. We do that today. We talk about tithing. We give to the Lord first. The first fruits, the idea there. So when, and during Bible times, when they were just producing animals, they would take that firstborn... And they would sacrifice it to God. Because why? They were hoping and, and, and trusting that God was going to take care of their flock. Because they never knew if that sheep was going to have another sheep. If that cow was going to have another cow. I mean, things happen, right? So, out of the savings we give, the next thing that we do, if you're smart, is you invest. Right? You invest in things that will produce income either in the moment or down the road. We, how do we do it? We talk about stocks, we talk about mutual funds, you can do real estate. There's a whole bunch of different things that you could do. And again, I'm not telling you what way to do. If you want some stock tips, come see me. I'll tell you how to lose money quickly, okay? But we, we give and we invest. Why? This is all godly principles. God talks about that. I'll show you that in a minute. The third thing that we do with this, after we, we give and we invest, and this is crucial, okay? This is the part that you guys are going to like. We spend it. Now, I'm not talking about your savings account, your rainy day funds. We spend money on what? On things that we want. Does God give us the desires of our heart? 
Yeah. Right? He says he will. Ask me for anything. So we spend this money. Now, is spending bad? If you want a new boat, is it wrong if you have the money? No, not at all. Not at all. Now, if you're in business, so you, you give some and you spend some, but you, this investment, what do you typically do? You bring it back down to the front and you start it again, right? Now, when we look at this stuff, I'm like, okay, that's fine. I kind of get that. That's simple enough. We all say that we get that, but we don't think this way. This is really how God had laid everything out, is that we produce income. We're working. We're doing something. From that, we hope to make a profit. From that profit, we have savings. What do we have savings? In other words, we have more money than what we need to simply survive, so thus we can give more, and we can invest more and do more things, and then when we can spend some and enjoy some. Do you realize that God wants you to be able to enjoy your money? And a very wealthy man, this guy loved the Lord, he served God, he wanted to build himself a house, the dream home, okay? Um, it was a several million dollar project, and he was, he was torn, absolutely torn on the deal, because he's like, you know, I could put that money into ministry, I could do something else, and he said, and I don't want this to be a, a status icon for me. And it's like, this guy has worked hard his entire life, had several successful businesses, invested well, he had the money, he could do it, he gave lavishly. There was nothing, there was never a need that was not met when he had the ability to do so. And I looked at him and I said, do you realize that God has blessed you in this case and it is okay to do that? And he just had a heck of a time just accepting that. It's like, you've earned this money. It's yours to choose what you do with. But it's not like you've got to go live in a, in a, a cardboard box on the street and give every single dollar. Because the last time I checked, it was not your job to fully fund every single ministry out there. He had a hard time accepting that. He ended up building the house. He uses it for ministry. I mean, he has had homeless people passing through, stay in this multi-million dollar home, right? That doesn't happen often. He starts with a shower. That's always a good thing. But, but we act like we can't do this stuff or we shouldn't do this stuff. And so what God's plan is we produce, we profit, we save, and we take those three tiers and we come back and we do it again because every time that grain bin is going to get a little bit bigger, it can hold a little bit more and we can do more. But it starts with the little things, okay? Now, let's think about this. And this is the, the beginning. This is kind of the introduction stuff. Our country was founded on these very principles that we have talked about. These very principles here. If you read the Declaration of Independence, you will see why they were declaring themselves free people. Read the entire thing, which we're not going to do today. We're going to look at a small portion of it, but I want you to see this. If you look at the entire thing, they lay it out. This is why we're separating because of, of the king. He's doing this, and he's doing this, and we see that as ungodly, essentially, is what they get at. But when we look at the first few things, right, this is the part we always see. Let's look at this here. I'm going to move this out of the way for the rest of you. July 4, 1776. Notice it says the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. What does unanimous mean? Everybody, we're on the same page. Okay? Some will, they're arguing today, and this is this revisionist history that they're saying, oh no, they didn't all want to do that. They, you know, they, some did, and the others forced them to do it. That's not the case. 
These guys were all in harmony together. You know, Nanif's declaration, these are uh, the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Now, don't switch yet. Now, you notice here in a couple of things, he's saying, essentially, you have made this to where we have no choice but to do this. Because out of decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that we declare. So they are going to, the declara- they are declaring, Mr. King, why we are separating from you. And that's where you've got to read the entire document. But you notice what he says here. The separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God. Who are they referencing? God, Yahweh. Who are, so in other words, it's the laws of nature and nature's God, which puts them, him, above nature. These are the things that we see. It's so obvious in the laws of nature how things should be done. And Mr. King, you're not doing that. But nature's God has declared in a way that we should do this. Thus, we are separating from you because of those reasons. You guys with me so far? Because we've got to understand that there was a purpose behind all of this. This wasn't arbitrary. Let's go to the next one. Here you go. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. So far, so good, right? We know this part. We read it all the time. Go to the next slide. Laying his foundations on such principles and organizing his powers in such form as to, as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and their happiness. Now, When we look at this, they were making a declaration. This is the introductory part of the letter of why they were declaring it. There are over two dozen primary rights that they are laying out here, not in this sentence. It later gets spelled out specifically in the Bill of Rights. But where did they say that those came from? It came from the laws of nature and nature's God. We can never forget that. All of these, these 24 rights that they are declaring come from Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 8. Every single one of them. They didn't just pull these things out of the sky. If you read the writings in the early um, the, the debates and even the different documents that are out there, you will see they are riddled with Scripture. All throughout it. It is everywhere. So, these things break down into three items. The first one is we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. Now remember, thinking back, nature, nature's God, right? What did he just say? First of all, truth. These truths. Truths they're getting ready to declare. All of them. That means there is a truth. They are standing on the fact that there is a standard that you are not meeting. And these truths are the fact that we have these rights because they are obvious. That's what self-evident means. All men are created equal. Underneath this kingship, there is this hierarchy that if you were born into this bloodline, you're a better human being than somebody else because they weren't born in the right bloodline or the right race. 
Why did Hitler destroy all the Jews? Because they were not the favored race. Why did Charles Darwin write his book, The Origin of Species? And then he talks about, and the evolution of the favored races. Because he believed that white man had a, a blessing from God that other men didn't. Their worldview was screwed up. But here, the truth are obvious. And every man, every person is created equal in the eyes of God. Equal creation. Second part. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let's talk about this. Endowed means given to. Right? By whom? The one that created them. Who is they talking about? All the founding fathers, not all of them, 95% of them were Christians. Some of them were on the fence, some of them were deists, but most of them were not. They're trying to tell you today that they were all deists and they didn't really know. That is bull. You need to read the early documents for yourself. They are online, you can see them. These guys are trying to remove God from the foundation because that was the foundation we're built on. If we can remove God, then we can change things to the way that we want them. That's ridiculous. So, they're endowed by these rights from their creator, certain unalienable rights. Now, here's a word that we don't use. We say it, it's always recited, but have you ever thought to ask, what does that mean? Here's the definition of unalienable. It's not transferable to another, nor is it capable of being taken away or denied. How can, if a something comes from God, can it be taken away from you? Can government come and take away these rights? They can't because they didn't give them to you. I mean, there's an argument about freedom of speech right now. Okay? And in the Bill of Rights, they were laid out as part of the 24 that they laid out. Genesis 1 through 8, it's all there. And so in that, it can't be suppressed by government because this is the institution because government doesn't give you these rights. Other nations of the world, this is not the case. But these guys looked at the Bible and said, man, we've been through a lot of systems. If you study the history of how they went from, from up to Holland and then they came across and stuff, they were looking for freedom to worship God in the way that the Bible said. That's what they wanted to do. And so because of that, they were separating, they were running away. And so here they have these obvious things that are so there. If government can't give it to you, then they can't take it away from you. These are here by God. Then you have the part, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What is that? This part of the words that were the Declaration of Independence. We know it all. But the pursuit of happiness meant something very specific to the founding fathers. And it's not really con conveyed today because we don't, we don't talk about this. What do we think of happiness? Whatever makes you feel good. right? The opposite of sadness. But that's not what it was. You see, one of the greatest philosophers of this time of the 17th century was a man named John Locke. And this phrase comes from him that we, we have life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. And it was later adopted by the First Continental Congress in this way. It was the view of the founders that these unalienable rights that could not be taken away of every human being was that government does not have the authority to hinder the economic ability or freedom of its citizens to build this prosperous life, to be able to own land. Right? The American dream. To, uh, what was it? They wanted a, two cars in every driveway, uh, own your home, chicken in every pot. I'm saying it backwards, something like that. I mean, I like chicken, but I'd rather the colonel fry it for me than me have to put it in a pot but whatever 
So we see that this is the life, liberty, and the pursuit of property, the ability to go out there and make an income on your own, to not have the government telling you how you have to do it, what you have to do, when you have to do it. You have the ability. We share that freedom here in this country because if you don't like your job, you can go get you a different job. If the job that you want requires an education, then go get that education. I mean, my goodness, if a person learns Spanish, you're $2 an hour more valuable than somebody who doesn't. In today's culture, because we have such a Hispanic culture, they need people that can speak both. It carries more weight. There's free classes all over the place on how to speak Spanish. I probably should take some of them. But here we've got, so we see this here, the life, liberty, pursuit of property is unalienable. You can't take it away, Mr. Government. You have no right to because this was given by God. And then it gets into the last part, that to secure these rights, what rights? the life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, all the other things that they're getting into, governments are instituted by whom? By men. Government's sole purpose is to secure the rights of the individual. That's why they created it. This is why we see that governments were created is to protect the rights of man. Because the rights came from God, but we need a good government founded on biblical principles to secure those rights. Why is that? Because ungodly people will try to get in and take those rights away from you. Those rights don't belong to them. They're not theirs to take. Now, we see this in economic systems all over the world. They're different ones. They've been tried. We can study the patterns. Government came from man to protect the rights of the individual. Now, when we look at this, we see that a nation is very much founded on the principles that God laid out. But you guys realize that the Bible talks about these very same things. They produce the profit to save so that you can give and you can invest. You do a passage that I'll bet you've never seen this before. Um, it's my guess. I could be wrong here. But I remember growing up as a young man, some of these guys age back there, and in the church, and what do they always say? Man, you need to find your wife. And you know what your wife needs to be like? She needs to be a Proverbs 31 woman, right? Right? I'm not sure many of those exist, but that's where they should be. I mean, my wife, of course, but outside of her. She wasn't supposed to be in here. <laughs> you got to find you a Proverbs 31 woman. And you realize that there were like t-shirts made and bracelets and it was all over Facebook. I'm just kidding. Facebook didn't exist back then. The internet barely did. And all of this stuff, that's all they talked about. You know what we never did? We never read Proverbs 31. We're like, yeah, I need to get me that kind of woman. If anybody had ever asked like, well, what is a Proverbs 31 woman? I'd been like, that's a great question. I don't know. They never read it. They just said you needed it and it was good enough for me. But Proverbs 31 describes quite a woman, okay? We're starting verse 10. Here we go. Who can find a virtuous wife? Well, that's a great question. they got to be out there somewhere, right? For her worth is far above rubies. So far, so good. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. You know what that means, guys? In the original Hebrew, that means she obeys his every command. That means when he comes home, that you remove his shoes and rub his feet. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Man, it's, it's getting warm in here. All right, verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. Okay? So she works. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. Remember the culture, they had all these maidservants. So you're dealing with a family that's got some means here. 
But it's strictly talking about her. You realize that the husband is not the subject here. The husband can trust her and loves her, and she's taking care of him. But look at verse 16. She considers a field, and she buys it. From her prophets, she plants a vineyard. There's that prophet word again, that four-letter word that's not supposed to be there. So what does it mean to consider a field? She looks at it. Is this going to work? She runs the numbers on it. What kind of yield are they getting out of this? I throw out more farming lingo, but I don't know any. So she looks at it, and what does she do? From her profits of the stuff that she was doing prior to this, she plants a vineyard after considering the field. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good, the stuff she's producing. She sees that it is good. And her lamp does not go out by night. I mean, she's working day and night. She's making this happen. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. Again, she's working. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's giving. You see, all of these things are laid out in this Proverbs 31 woman. Now, wait a minute. I thought the Bible put women down, and they weren't supposed to go do that. They were just supposed to be under the thumb of their man. Well, apparently not, because where's the husband? He's probably watching football. He's taking the day off. Maybe he's got the other approaches, like on six days you will rest, and on the seventh you'll work. I don't know. You guys, you see what's happening here. This Proverbs 31 woman has this whole thing all laid out because she reinvests and produces more. And thus it grows. And because of that, because she's made wise decisions and she's a sharp woman, that she is able to give more. She's able to spend more. She's able to invest more. You can do more. These are principles by God. Our founding fathers followed this exact plan. We're not the wealthiest nation in the world by accident. It's because we followed the process. And look at verse 31. Give her of the fruit of her hands, her labor, and let her own works praise her in the gates. You see, she was working. Oh my goodness, that's a terrible thing, right? Is it okay for a woman to stay home with the kids and all that? Absolutely. Is it okay for a woman to go out there and work, kill something, and drag it home? Absolutely. So can we just stop making a big deal out of it no matter what the circumstances is? Because God said, and everybody's been saying it, like, this woman, here's a benchmark that you should try to be. Go out there and do something. We don't know if she had kids. We don't know what was going on. We don't know the details of her life. I'm sure she did have kids. But the bottom line is, is that God's plan here in showing us in Proverbs is that we consider the field. And from the prophets that we've had, we purchase the field. And we begin, we plant the vineyard. And then we look and say, man, this is good. So I can sell this and I can make a profit with it. These are God's plans. Guys, the way God set up our economic structure is in a way that it can be successful. That if we strictly follow the plan, this isn't hard. This isn't complicated. The problem is today our society tells us to do other things. And we're going to begin to look at this more. We're going to look at this capitalistic thing. Is it from God? What about socialism? Is it for God? from God? What about communism? Is it from God? We're going to look at all of this different stuff because, frankly, guys, no matter what side of the, the political aisle you tend to be on, it needs to come from a biblical worldview because if the Word of God truly is what it claims to be, that it is come from God and this is God's directions on how we do things, then we should look at it for our finances as well as we do everything else. You guys with me so far? Nobody hates me yet, right? Okay, that's my only ask. 